Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We will begin reading there in just a moment. I'd like to add my welcome to you all. Thank you all for being here. It's good to have uh, each and everyone here this morning as we seek to serve God as we have been so instructed to do in His Word. It really is an honor and a blessing to be able to, to come together on the first day of the week and to do these things that we see those first century Christians doing, to remember the great sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. What an honor it is to be able to come together to do that. This morning I want to start by asking a few questions. And here's a, this is a good question. Are you sure of your faith? This is a kind of a theme of mine that I've been uh, kind of exploring over the, really the past two years. Last, uh, last year with the idea of confidently approaching the throne of grace, we did that for a, our yearly theme. And this year is somewhat similar in, in the highest and best. You know, how is it that we are best serving God? But this is a question we really need to, to ask ourselves. Are you sure of your faith? And are you sure that you are following after Jesus Christ? And the last question here is, are you sure you have done and are doing what the Lord requires of you? Now, these may sound like oversimplistic questions, but really they're fundamental in our faith. They're fundamental in our service. In these questions is the idea that there is something that we let me rephrase that. There is a standard to which we need to hold ourselves. And of course, that standard is God's word. And so when we ask the questions with that in mind, are you sure you have done what you're, what you're doing, the Lord requires of you? Well, I can look to God's word and see what the Lord requires of me. Are you sure you're following after Jesus Christ? Well, we have the gospel accounts that tell us the path that he walked. So are we following that path? the path that he has set for us, the path that he has blazed. And that leads to, are you sure of your faith? Because we are to be sure of our faith. We are to be sure where it is that we ultimately are heading. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, Peter writes, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Well, this morning, what I'd like for us to focus on is that idea of making your call and election sure. So we're going to explore that verse and, and, and take some things out of that and, and explore each part of that. And then, of course, as I always do at the end, is put it back together and make sure that we understand completely the context and completely understand the thought that's being expressed when we look at something like this. So what we want to do is to be able to say yes to all three of those questions that we posed there at the beginning. Yes, we can be sure of our faith. Yes, we are doing, done and, ha and are doing the right thing. And yes, we can be sure that we are following after Jesus Christ. We want to answer those questions in the affirmative, and confidently so. So this morning, let's look at this. How do we go about making our call and election sure? Well, let's start by understanding this first. How does God call his people? 
Well, we know the answer to that question, don't we? We know the question, the answer to that question is, he calls us, as he calls everyone in the world, he calls us through the gospel. If you're there in 2 Thessalonians, Brad read this a moment ago, let's, let's look at it again. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and the faith in truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that gospel to which God calls us, through which God calls us. Paul wrote in Romans about the power that that gospel has. It has the power to save. Romans 1 verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to all those who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek or also to the Gentile. Not only is is it a calling, but there's power in it. There's power in it. And the power is it has the ability to save your soul. And that's very, very powerful. The gospel tells of the superior Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. I love the book of Hebrews. I love how it lays out how the the law of Christ is superior to the law of Moses. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much better than the angels, he inherited a more excellent name than they. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about that Jesus is the exact um, representation of, his, of, the, of God the Father. I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you want to know God, learn about Jesus. Because he is the exact representation of God the Father. And so we have a wonderful collection of books here that we can look and read about God the Father and God the Son and the Hebrew writer is telling us that the, the, the God that came to earth and walked amongst us is the exact representation of the Heavenly Father. So if we want to know how God would have handled things on earth, go and read the Gospels. See how Jesus did it. And understand that this is, through this Gospel, is how he calls his people. The example of God on earth, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ also good for us to understand that he's given us everything that we need. Look over in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. The gospel has been fully delivered to us, and it's very important to understand that, because as time has progressed and we get further and further away from uh, the first century, man has stepped in and and clouded the, the, muddied the waters. He's given us latter-day revelation, man has. He's given us interpretations. He's given us doctrine on top of uh, what is God's word. But Paul makes it very clear that, he, that God has delivered to us 
the gospel in its entirety. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I have preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which are you also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel message, isn't it? That Jesus Christ was put to death, that he was raised on the third day, and we have opportunity of salvation through that. And as he's telling his, his readers here in Corinth, they've given them, that's the message. He, he told them earlier in the opening of the letter, we preach Christ crucified. That's the simple message of the gospel. And if you go over to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, here in the middle of Paul laying out the use of spiritual gifts, he says in the middle of this, in chapter 13, there's going to come a time when the spiritual gifts are gone. And what's going to be left? Well, what's going to be left is the perfect will of God, the complete word of God. As he starts there in, in verse 1 of chapter 13, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains... And I do not have love, I have nothing. You see, what he's saying here is these spiritual gifts are important. They're confirming the gospel message that's going forth. But without love, and without what's truly behind these spiritual gifts, and that is the love of God to send forth his Son, and the love that I should have towards God for that, if I don't have that, these spiritual gifts profit me nothing. But then as he comes down, verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. He says these things are going to cease, and then the perfect is going to come, and when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Verse 11, this familiar verse. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child and thought as a child and reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So the point is that the gospel has been fully delivered to us. There's no need of any other revelation, there's no need of any other interpretation that man might place on top of it or take away from it. It's been fully given to us and we can put our confidence in it. If it has the power to save our souls, then we ought to believe the words that are there. The call requires some things of us. You know, there is a call that God has given us, the gospel call, which Paul is, we mentioned here in a few things that we've seen about with Paul. But there's things that are required of us. And first of all, it starts very simply, we have to hear the call, right? These words do us no good if we don't hear them. Romans 10, verse 14, it says, how shall they believe in him and whom they have not heard? We can't believe in something that we don't know. So the gospel message has to go forward. It's up to us as God's children to continue to spread the good news. Christ and him crucified. In verse 17 of Romans 10, it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's where our faith starts, is by hearing. And we have to believe what it is that we hear. We have to believe in Jesus Christ. In John 14 and verse 1, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. 
So it's not just that we hear, but we hear the, the, the words that we hear, we believe. In chapter 8 of John, verse 24, it says there, Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So it's important to believe in, it, in what we hear. And understanding that what we have heard and what we believe should cause us to make a change in our life. It should cause us to repent. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, Paul writes there, having overlooked, excuse me, Paul says there, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere to repent. You see, there's, there's a time that God overlooked uh, some of the things that were going on and, and overlooked um, the, the, under the Mosaic law some things that, that were not being done according to, and I don't mean that he's just dismissing it, point that Paul is making as he's, as he's speaking these words there on Mars Hill is that he has sent Jesus Christ to fill in the gap, calling on all men everywhere to repent. So when we hear and believe, we need to make sure that we understand that there's a change that needs to be made in our lives. He's no longer overlooking because you are of age and you realize that you need to make a change in your life. So we have to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We have to recognize that all that we see and hear, just like the Hebrew writer wrote there, it's all in Jesus Christ. God's ultimate plan is expressed in Jesus Christ. And we have to confess that he is, uh, that he is the, the Son of God. In Romans 10, verse 10, it says, With the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. And then we have that um, wonderful example in Acts chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. As Philip is teaching him there from Isaiah, what we deem to be Isaiah chapter 53, telling about this coming servant that will be put to death. And as they make their way along, the Ethiopian eunuch says, Look, there is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, If you believe, you can be. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And upon that confession, they stopped the chariot, they went down into the waters, and the eunuch was baptized. So we have to respond to the gospel by doing these things. We have to be baptized. In Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. John 3 and verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have to respond to the call by doing these things. So that leads to the question then, what was your response to the call? And we have to ask this question at the outside, at the outset, have you responded at all? <coughs> Have you responded to the call that has gone out? Paul makes it very clear. The gospel call has gone out. Continues to go out. And if not, you must in order to enter the kingdom of God. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If not, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if you have not responded to the call and you want to enter the kingdom of God and you need to respond to that call by doing those things that we just mentioned 
Have you responded appropriately? Did you do um, all those things that we just mentioned a second ago? Did you hear the gospel and believe what you heard and recognize that you needed to make a change in your life? Did you confess? Did you realize that that leads you to understand and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and make that confession before men? And were you baptized? Did you do those things? And speaking of your baptism, was your baptism done properly? You know, there is a proper way in which to be baptized, and there are lots of improper ways to be baptized. The word baptism comes from the Greek transliteration of a word, baptismo, which simply means to immerse. And sometimes, and I think about this sometimes, you know, transliterated words are when we take a word from another language and kind of change it a little bit and put it in our language and then give it the meaning. Sometimes I wonder if, if we should have just translated that word baptism into immersion. He who believes and is immersed. Unless you believe and are immersed, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But baptism means immersion in water. We see all the examples in the book of Acts them being immersed in water. And just what we read there in Acts chapter 8 with the, with the Ethiopian eunuch, they went down into the water. John the, baptiz- the baptizer was baptizing in a place. Why? Because there was much water there. Scripture tells us. It has to be done properly. It's not a pouring of water over a head. It's not a sprinkling of water over someone. No, it's an immersion. And why is that so important? You think, well, it's just as long as you get some water on you, I guess you are baptized. Well, it's important because in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks all about it about going down into the water, into that grave, and coming out of the grave to walk in newness of life. It's important that it's done properly. It's important that it's done for the right purpose. It's important to understand that we are baptized for what? For the remission of our sins. As Peter says there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 on the day of Pentecost, when he gave that sermon, and they realized that they had put to death the Son of God, and they said, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be baptized. It's not an ex- outward expression of an inward faith. It's not a, a ceremonial thing that we'll do at the end of the month when we make all our other bapti- uh, baptisms. No. The act itself is what's important. Going down into the water. Washing away the sins. This question, too, about your baptism. Were you eligible to be baptized? This also speaks to the idea of infant baptism. That's carried out by some churches where infants are baptized. And it follows, what that is following is the idea of inherited sin or original sin, that we're born into sin because we inherit the sin of Adam. And that's a misunderstanding of Scripture. We don't inherit the sin of Adam. We sin when we are carried away by our own lusts and we give in to that, as James writes there in James chapter 1. We're responsible for our own sin. We have to be a penitent believer to be eligible to be baptized. It does us no good just to go down into the water unless we have heard, unless we have believed, unless we have repented, 
unless we have made that good confession, then the waters of baptism save us. Not just simply a matter of getting wet. If you have not responded, what should you do? Well, in Ephesians 4 and verse 5, Paul there, there's seven ones that Paul speaks of there, and one of those ones is baptism. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. Which leads us to understand that any other kind of baptism, any other form, any baptism for a different reason, any baptism that was not done in the right circumstances, is not the one baptism. Look with me in Acts chapter 19. This is Paul coming towards a conclusion of his third missionary journey. He's at uh, verse 1. It says, And he came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Chapter 19, verse 1 of Acts. Verse 2, And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were believed? When you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard where there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? And he said, Into John's baptism. Remember when John, the precursor for Jesus, came on the scene, what was he doing? He was baptizing. What was he baptizing for? He was baptizing for the remission of sins. But when Jesus came, there was going to be the one baptism. That's the one baptism that Peter speaks about on the day of Pentecost. Verse 4, or yes, verse 4 of Acts 19 and Paul said, John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I make this point a lot. I'll make it again. They heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not rebaptized, not baptized again, but what? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the one baptism that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4. Unless you were of that one baptism, you have not been baptized in the Lord's baptism. And this should remove all doubt. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, as Ananias is speaking there to recalling the, the, the conversion of Saul, that is Paul, he says, And now why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So if we have understand what we've talked about so far, and we have that one baptism, that will remove all doubt as to what and how and why we have been baptized. So let's talk about this now. Let's talk about how do we make our calling sure. Go back to 2 Thessalonians, where we started. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> we read there verses 13 and 14. We should always give thanks to God, brethren, and beloved, the Lord, Jesus, uh, the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at what it says in verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. 
And sometimes we talk about, well, we can't hold to traditions. You know, we've got to make sure that we're holding to the scripture. Well, <laughs> there's good traditions. Those traditions are established in God's word. That's what we need to be holding to. Paul says that's going out by word of mouth at this point where he's writing to the Thessalonians. And these letters, which is what he's writing here now, are part of that. So the oral tradition, what you've been taught, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and the letters that are being written guided by the Holy Spirit. That's what we can stand firm in. We can uh, make sure that our calling is sure by following the example of the very first Christians. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says there they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is, then was on the day of Pentecost, as we've made reference to. And I, I emphasize the word there, continually. Continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's not just, okay, we got it, and move on and never crack another scroll. <laughs> continually devoting themselves. That comes down to us, doesn't it? Think about with what ease we have access to the word of God. I've been back and forth on digital uh, versions of the Bible, and I still use that, but I'll use this to preach from and study from as well. But think about how easy it is that we have access to the Word of God. So it should be easy for us to continually devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the, breaking, uh, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. And that's how we can make sure that our calling is sure by always going back, always reaching back into God's word and see what he has to say about everything. It's good to remind ourselves of those things because it can get lost. Stories may fade over time. But you can always go back and open up God's word. We need to be on guard against false teaching. As I've made mention of other doctrines and latter-day revelations, there's things out there that are false, lots of things that are false. Look over in 2 Peter chapter 3. We need to make sure that we know the word of God so well that we recognize those things that are false. In 2 Peter 3, verse 17, it says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest, being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall away from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and in the day of eternity. eternity. Amen. We need to be on guard against false teaching so that we can make sure that we're making our calling sure that we are being steadfast. And we need to grow in our faith. Over there in 2 Peter, just a page turnover probably for you. In chapter 1. Such a wonderful thing, place to go and, 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 and have that checklist to see if we are indeed holding ourselves to this standard. 2 Peter 1, beginning of verse 5, now for, every, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence to your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, um, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. See, those are the things we need to be working on. All of them at the same time. 
Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from the former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make sure about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That brings us back to our, where we started making your call and election sure. And if you do that, if you practice these things, you will never stumble. Does that mean we're never going to sin? No. It means if we do sin and we are practicing these things, we have a way in which to be forgiven of those sins. We go to God in prayer and we ask him to forgive us. And he is faithful and just to do so, as we read about in 1 John 1, verse 9. The stumbling is when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of the avenue of prayer that we have, and we lose sight of the idea that we have a, a wonderful, merciful God. If we approach him, if we are a child of his and we have sinned and we approach him and ask for forgiveness of that sin, he will forgive us. And that's where we have the steadfastness. That's where we have the faith and the confident faith that we are his children. Verse 11, there in 2 Peter, verse 1, is where we'll leave our message this morning. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Our interest in the heaven has been thoroughly given to us, abundantly supplied. Those blessings from God are amazing, aren't they? They're overflowing. For our interest in heaven has, has been given to us, not just, uh, you know, that we might make it up, up there, up that mountain, however you want to say it, we'll barely make it. No, it's abundantly supplied to us. It's open wide for us. He's given us all the things. Now, there, as Jesus teaches, there are few that are going to find it. It won't be because God hasn't abundantly provided it for us. There's no doubt how we get there. It starts by hearing. By hearing the word of God and responding to it. Believing in what you have heard. And it is assured in our remaining faithful to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Back over in 1 Peter chapter 1. I beg your pardon. 2 Peter 1, I was there, had it right. Verse 3. Seeing his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us his own glory and excellence. All things pertaining to life and godliness. He's given it to us. So that there's no question, so that we can be confident in our faith, that we can make our call and election sure. We have to hear and believe and repent, confess, and then we are a candidate for baptism. And then it's up to us to remain faithful, to make our call and election sure, so that we can practice these things and never stumble. Because God has abundantly supplied to us 
salvation. If you're not a child of God, you've heard the gospel message this morning. That is Jesus Christ and him crucified. A man that went to death, went to the cross of Calvary for our sins, and on the third day was resurrected, that we might have a hope of salvation and eternal life. So you've heard the good news this morning. Do you believe it? Do you believe what you've heard? And upon believing that, do you recognize that there might be Take, let me strike that word, might. There are things in the, your life you need to change. You need to repent. You need to turn t- away from the, the life that you're living and turn towards God. And then you need to recognize and make that good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then you're a candidate for baptism. And baptism means going down into the water, to be immersed, to come up out of the waters a new creature, walk in newness of life. What a wonderful blessing that is. And knowing those things, we can make our call and election sure and faithfully serve God until the day of our death or until the Lord returns. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to become one. If as a child of God, you are unsure of your call and election, make that right. Be confident in your faith. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.